0: There's Ronaldo! Oh, my goodness. You don't
1: save those. Out of this world. Messi. Messi. Messi! 3 nothing. Landon Donovan. There are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is tonight again. And Donovan! Can you believe this?
0: Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this!
1: For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world.
0: From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports.
2: Two days removed from one of the most thrilling, the most exciting, the most unbelievable Champions League ties we've seen in a long time. FUVFC is back for another installment. Nick Guzman here with James Burley and Keenan Troy, the golden trio, before we get into that thrilling Real Madrid City game,
0: the pretty good Liverpool v Real game. Keenan, James, how are you guys doing today? I'm doing very, very well. Happy to be back on the podcast. Excited to talk um, continental football from all over the world this week. Uh, a lot of exciting, exciting stuff in both Europe and domestically uh, that I'm sure we're going to get into very, very soon. Keenan,
1: Yeah, boys, it's good to be back. Um, I wasn't on the assignment this week. thought maybe I'd get a, a week off, but after a really impressive first half from Villarreal, And then a Real Madrid team that refuses to get beaten. It was almost divine intervention that Michael Hernandez was absent without leave and no one could get a hold of him that I could slide onto this podcast. So super excited. And then, as James mentioned, the U.S. is going to the Club World Cup. What a match up in Seattle, 64,000 on hand. Can't wait to break that one down, too. Doesn't that feel
2: so good to say out loud? Seattle Sounders versus Real Madrid or Liverpool. Going (sighs) to be be an all-time all-time game.
1: Give me more Jordan Morris over Benzema any day of the week. Easily.
2: We have to start I think with the Real Madrid City game. We'll work backwards because this was a game where it's not like Real Madrid were dominating and pushing and just City were were you know stout defensively. It was a game that City dominated for 89 minutes and Real Madrid never really I thought at least had a foothold in the game. Then All of a sudden, the first Rodrigo goal goes in, and then it looks like City, someone sounded the alarm, and the panic button ensues. They forget how to play defense. They forget how to play soccer at all. The second Rodrigo goal goes in. Then all hell breaks loose because you've subbed off De Bruyne. Now you've subbed off Mares. You've subbed off your best attacking players. Now you're running a Fernandinho-Rodri double pivot in the middle, trying to get a goal. And then the penalty happens. In my opinion, definitely a pen. But what I want to start with is... How does this happen to a team like Man City that looks so strong for almost that entire second leg? And James, I'll start with you. But it there didn't seem like to be a hint of collapse. And then all of a sudden, one goal goes in and everything falls apart. There's experienced
0: players on that field. How does this happen? It, it, it was shocking. And it, it, not just because it did happen. Like You can never count out a, cl- a side like Real Madrid and credit to them for for battling back and doing so very very late in the game. But they just checked out. Like Man City, like it's not like it's not like they had their backs against the walls and were out and were overperforming, I should say. That that, that was not the case. They were clearly the better team. It was their game to win and I, I read a tweet that said Pep subbed off Mares and De Bruyne like we were 5-0 up against Burnley uh, at home. And no, you were playing away against arguably the greatest club in the history of the game in the Champions League semi-final, and you subbed off your goal scorer and your team's best player and most important player at that as well. So it was a pretty bonehead decision from Pep Guardiola. People are, are, are probably taking it out too much on him. It should still have been seen out by the players on the pitch, but they they just checked out. And as for the penalty, I'm glad you, you brought that up because that's a symptom of falling asleep in a match is you give away stupid fouls in your own penalty area like that, and that's what happens when you get in your own head and you fail to recognize the task at hand and you let a totally worthy opponent like Real Madrid get back in, and they disrespected them at the end of that match by taking their foot off the gas, and they got what they deserved in the end, and that was to be eliminated.
1: Yeah, I think you know at the start of the second half... Real Madrid kicks off, has that long ball over the top that Vinicius's first touch fails him. And then there's another instance somewhere in like the 65th minute where a good combination play between Benzema and Vinny, a ball passed by Benzema into Vinicius's feet while he was running, difficult for him to control. Eventually, kind of stumbles over, rolls into Ederson. Those were the only two chances I thought Real Madrid looked potent at all. And then the Mara's goal happens, which I thought Courtois... Similar to Ruli, who let in that near-post goal against Fabinho. Courtois was expecting Mars to try and go far-post, so he's kind of leaning that way and gets beat to the short side. A good team goal by City, no doubt. And then, boys, you've both emphasized it, but I'm going to emphasize it one more time. You can't, with a team of that quality, of Real Madrid, maybe subbing off Mars makes sense. Maybe. But you can't lose a player like Kevin De Bruyne on this team because when you look at the experience of City, outside of Fernandinho, maybe, who's an aging veteran, there's no one that really rallies that team like Kevin De Bruyne does. You know, you don't have the Sergio Aguero who was the priest-like figure that would call the masses together and help them see out this tie. Maybe Fernandinho's going to be able to do that, but it's difficult when he's pretty much a perennial bench player at this point and then you know you've got guys like Ilkay Gundogan on the pitch who still are in a half playing half off the bench role so they don't command the kind of respect that De Bruyne does and the kind of consistency that De Bruyne demands so when you lose those two players on the pitch and you bring in defensive minded and then on the flip side Carlo Ancelotti for Madrid you know he's bringing on guys to go and get goals obviously being down two goals in the tie. You saw that first Rodrigo go, goal go in, and I immediately was like, they're going to get a second, just because of the City response. You That's where you need a guy like Kevin De Bruyne to urge them forward, to try and go find a second, or dominate in possession, because this was Pep trying to play like he was Atletico Madrid, or he was trying to play like Benfica. He was trying to play like a lesser side that would just sit in behind a dominant Real Madrid and play 10 men behind the ball. And that's not what City can do. I don't think City has the defensive talent to be able to manage gaps on the level of an Atletico Madrid, for example. So I think it all comes down on Pep. It's extremely tough just because of how good of a manager he's been for this team. You know, bringing them to European glory, not really, but, you know, to a Champions League and a Champions League semi uh, back-to-back and then obviously being so dangerous in the Premier League. We're going to get to Premier League after we get through Liverpool, boys, but I, for me, immediately, was like, can this City team respond? Because this is the biggest kick in the teeth they've ever had since they've been as dominant as they've been.
2: And when you think about this City team in continental play over the last couple of years, you think about, you know, last year they lose to Chelsea in the Champions League final and Pep decides not to play CDM for some reason. Year before, it's the pandemic quarterfinal loss to Lyon. Then you have Spurs; they lose to Spurs, and that's two-leg thriller. Before that, even they lose to Liverpool, a Liverpool team that was, you know, fourth place in the Premier League that that year. It just seems to happen again and again and again for the City team. But I think we also have to give a lot of credit to Real Madrid, particularly those substitutions that Carlo Ancelotti made. And you know, the obvious one is Rodrigo, but a player who I was so impressed with and who, who energized the midfield. I brought him up in the round of 16 game against PSG, Camavinga, he was so good. At 19 years old, you think about how they usually play in the midfield with Cruz and Modric and Casemiro. It can be a little bit slow at times. Camavinga was just a breath of fresh air when he came on the field. Had that beautiful long ball to, to set up the first goal. And he was just all over the place. And when you think about the way Real Madrid have recruited in these last couple of years, they brought in young guys like Camavinga, Vinicius, Rodrigo. And I think they got a little bit of you know slack for it when Vinicius didn't pan out right away. Rodrigo struggled a little bit at the start. But it seems like these young investments are paying off when you can bring in a guy like Camavinga to, to totally energize your midfield, energize your team. And to do that at 19 years old is just unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I, I watched Cruz um, get subbed out in the 68th or so minute. And then in the 75th minute, Casemira and Luka Modric came out in a double swap for Camavinga and Marco Asensio. And I remember sitting there thinking, Ancelotti's just brought off his entire midfield in a must-win game where he needs to score two more goals. And I was completely shocked by the response from Real Madrid in that they started performing better, and in large part due to Camavinga's work in the midfield. Not just because his presence on the ball was great, he drove the game forward, but every advance Manchester City had in the midfield was halted by him. I'm sure we're going to be talking about another young center mids influence on a Champions League final um, this past week with Obed Vargas, the 16-year-old for Seattle Sounders. Um, but Kamavinga really blew my mind. I had been critical of him to this point um, just because I thought there was a bit of overhyping. Like, I, I, I want to be patient with the guy. He's 19, very talented player, but I hadn't seen him put his stamp on a game quite like he did against Manchester City. It's really inspiring stuff because Casemiro, Kruz, Modric – they're not going to be there forever. Camavinga seems right now like a fantastic signing that could go on to be a lifetime Real Madrid club legend. And he, he was just so impressive.
1: Just really quickly before uh, we move on, gentlemen, or if, Nick, you want to stay talking about City's collapse, that's fine by me as an avid City hater. I texted my friends from high school who I barely keep in contact with that I know like Manchester City, saying, see you in Paris, dot, 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 oh, wait, NVM. I think, you know, when we analyze managers, it always comes down to substitutions where you always say a manager makes their money and Ancelotti was better than Pep. I think, you know, Pep losing Kyle Walker, who is, you know, tightening up with cramps and he brings on Zinchenko, who as much as you want him to succeed because of his heritage and everything still happening in Ukraine, I think he's he's kind of panning out to not be the defender that they thought they were getting in terms of he can provide service going forward to some degree, but his defense is kind of, I don't want to say shambolic, but it's really not good. Um, and then, really quickly, just because I hate him, and I'm going to bring it up, Raheem Sterling needs to go play in the second division. It's outrageous. That that take?
2: That take is outrageous.
1: I don't, I'm so over uh, Raheem Sterling's beloved hype. Yes, he's a fine winger, but... Truthfully, in my opinion, he's just a he's a poacher that in, in the past four months we've seen no creativity going forward, and boy does he love to hit the deck as soon as he feels contact. You, you'd think he's getting shot in the back the way he throws himself to the floor. There was one chance uh, when after the Benzema penalty where Sterling feels contact right outside the 18, center official's like nothing, and he's sitting on the ground looking for help. I'm like, you're so annoying. Anyway, back to you, Nick. I think we'll move
2: on to the first game Which was Liverpool against Villarreal And coming into that second leg Liverpool up 2-0 on that deflected own goal And that Mane goal was Villarreal were resolute in defense for a while Never really offered anything going forward In that first game at Anfield Liverpool come away 2-0 victor So Villarreal have work to do And they come out in the first half playing so well Dia gets the goal in the third minute Cochrane in the for- 41st minute it's all square in aggregate. We go to the half, and Luis Diaz comes on the field. We're talking about substitutions. Luis Diaz changes the game. Also, Rulian really Net for Villarreal sells pretty hard. All three goals probably could have done better. But just in terms of the balance of play, Liverpool, after being very passive in that first half, come out and just blow Villarreal out of the water in the second half. James, I want to know what you saw from this Liverpool team over two legs. And are you impressed by the resolve they, sh- they showed after, you know, going down 2-0 early in the second leg? This, is, this could be like an all-time comeback, and they just totally shut the door on Villarreal.
0: Yeah, I-, I am impressed because people are not going to give enough credit to Villarreal as a team in terms of the quality they have. I mean, they're struggling a bit in La Liga. They're on the outside looking in for European spot at the moment, but they really are a dangerous team. They have good players all over the pitch. Um, Liverpool had to battle through adversity. They were in a stadium that holds half the city of Villarreal's population, and the atmosphere was phenomenal. Villarreal do a great job at making their home stadium a difficult place to play, especially when they're overperforming to the uh, point that they are playing for their lives in a... uh, almost a CONCACAF. UEFA Champions League semifinal. I just, I just think too much about CONCACAF these days, guys. But the, the the team that they have, Villarreal, is one that can do damage on a team that's as good as Liverpool. So I, I don't want to take anything away from Liverpool haters right now who are saying that, well, you struggled in the first half against Villarreal. Yeah, but this Villarreal team is a really, really good team. This Villarreal team uh, deservedly went up 2-0 in this match. And Liverpool, yeah, they look disjointed, but I wouldn't credit that to their own demise i would give credit to Villarreal in that case so for a lot of people who were hitting the panic button saying if we can't play a full 90 minute match against Villarreal in a difficult scenario what does that say about us going to play madrid and paris uh, are we gonna have to struggle through adversity there and i'm gonna say yes but this was a little different in the sense that you went into a stadium that was decked out in yellow with energy that could not be matched, and you still found a way to battle back and win. I think Luis Diaz should have started. I remember looking at the starting 11 saying, why isn't Luis Diaz here? He's been probably the best uh, forward for uh, Liverpool since he signed. But off the bench, his his uh, impact is immeasurable. He was fantastic. And yeah, Geronimo Rulli in goal had a nightmare performance. Unfortunately, there were some media outlets after the game who were saying, well, Villarreal, this, this small city in Spain, we're so proud of our team, but we need to get a new goalkeeper, which <laughs> is is really, really sad. Um, I feel bad for Geronimo, really, because he is a quality keeper. Uh, he had a, a, a not a great first leg either and a really, really bad second leg. But credit to Villarreal for getting this far in the tournament, for pushing Liverpool uh, to the limit, and for Liverpool to actually, you know, Resisting, being resilient, coming away with a win, and we've got two um, late surges in the semi-final to provide the finalists in Liverpool and Real Madrid, and for me that makes things all the more exciting.
1: Yeah, I think you know when we were talking about Man City, and after they seemed to get their foot in the door, one foot into Paris, I kind of, I kind of saw that in the same way you saw that first half from Liverpool, in the sense that. They came into Villarreal 2-0 up on aggregate in the first leg that was, you know, played kind of the same with the second leg in the sense that Liverpool didn't have a sniff during the first leg legs first half at Anfield, and the second half they just dominated possession, got the two goals and felt comfortable going into Villarreal. And then the the quick goal from Dia to start the match changes the entire narrative. And then Cockerland Cocolin, Cockerlin, Cocolin—something like that. Spanish man um, gets a second right before halftime. Then you think game I'm on. Pretty sure he's French. He's definitely French. Yeah. Okay, it's still a <laughs> romance language, and guess what? <laughs> they all sound the same. They don't. It's we- not that good, old American boys. Anyway, moving along. I think at halftime, the difference between that city game and that Liverpool game was. I think that Jurgen Klopp had a second to talk to them in the dressing room at halftime when the game's narrative completely switched. When you go into halftime level after having a two-goal advantage, and he's able to, you know, make the big substitution in Diaz, who, as James, you were singing his praises. He was absolutely unreal. You know, obviously his goal could have been saved by Rully. I don't know. It's a it's a flicked header from in close. Rully's moving to his right. He kind of just throws himself at it. That being said. I think the Fabinho goal was savable, and then the Mane goal was a nail in a coffin on a really shambolic performance from the goalkeeper. But for Liverpool, I think, you know, it, it's, it's a performance that's reminded them and reminiscent of their entire season this year of, you know, can they battle adversity? And when, you know, the chips are down on them, yes, it's only 2-2, but, you know, as James, you mentioned, that Villarreal stadium was just absolutely jumping, so... Knew that that second half you'd have to come out and put up a good fight because not only did you have the eleven on the pitch, you had however many of that stadium holds. I think like what twenty thousand, thirty thousand, maybe, um, backing the the yellow submarine. But Liverpool gets it done. Really excited for this final uh, because it's a rematch of twenty eighteen, and Liverpool does not have an absolute moron in goal named Loris Karius. So you can chalk off two goals that Madrid scored in that 2018 final. You don't have the absolute rat that is Sergio Ramos trying to break Mo Salah's collarbone, as he did in 2018. And you've got a better Liverpool side than you saw back then in every regard. I think the biggest thing, James, is you said, why is Diaz coming off the bench? I think Klopp didn't want to have to use him because they've got a big domestic match this weekend against Tottenham. And I think, you know... You can use a tired mana and a tired solid, maybe like you know ninety percent instead of a hundred percent, but you need a fully fit Luis Diaz to be, you know, bring that spark. Yeah, bring yeah. Be, be exceptionally threatening. But then you go down two goals, and I think Jurgen Klopp realizes that as good as Diego Jota's been for them, Luis Diaz is the real deal, and he needs to be on the pitch for them to get going forward and create positive chance after positive chance,
2: and. When you zoom out and look at these matches, you know, the effect is definitely not just now it's Liverpool-Real Madrid on May 28th in Paris in the final. But the Premier League race between City and Liverpool is still so much up for grabs. City leading by one point, 34 games played. I think there is a serious question about whether City this weekend is able to just come out and put, you know, against Newcastle this shocking... You know these shocking events behind them and just take care of business on Sunday against Newcastle. And for Liverpool, they need City to drop points somewhere. They've got Newcastle, or City's got Newcastle, City has Wolves, West Ham, and then Aston Villa. On paper, those are four winnable games. But, Keenan, I'll start with you on this one. Do you think that there's the probability of sort of a Champions League hangover a little bit this weekend from City where they're rattled and, you know, they maybe sleepwalk a little against Newcastle? Or do you think the mentality of this team is, is strong enough, especially in the Premier League, that they'll be able to fight through the adversity and, you know, march towards another title?
1: Well, I think have you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Have we ever seen the City team in this close of a title race? Obviously, twenty. 18, 19, when they beat Liverpool by one point, they weren't competing, you know, very closely for a Champions League. They didn't. They were on. They didn't lose a game, if I remember correctly. From, I think the gap was one point at the start of March, kind of similar to how this year was, but they were already out of. They lost in the quarterfinals of that Champions League, so they were just playing for the Premier League the entire time. I I think we've never seen truly this. City team lose a match as big as that match to Real Madrid with their best lineup out there. Yeah, if you think back to that FA Cup semifinal a couple weeks ago on the back of drawing Liverpool 2-2 in the Premier League, where they lost 3-2 but were down 3-0 in that match. You know, you might have seen that as kind of a kick into the teeth, but that wasn't the best side Pep could have fielded in that FA Cup semifinal. And I think a, a really big question is, you know, last week, Nick, in your absence, me and James Burley were you know, singing the praises for Jesse March to go and beat this City team, and he fe- f- he fell short. But we were talking about how that Newcastle match for Liverpool wasn't something that, you know, wasn't one that could just be done away with. And I think, you know, this is going to be a definite test for Pep because this ne- Newcastle team is gritty. You know, they're not one to roll over. We saw that in the Liverpool match, which only had one goal in Naby Keita's, you know, early first half goal and then Newcastle had a couple sniffs but were unable to to find the find the finishing touch against Liverpool thankfully for me but I I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little bit of a hangover maybe not saying a loss but I wouldn't be surprised if you know City come out a little flat in that first half just because whether they want to admit it or not there is a lot of mental strength required to get your chance to go to Paris eradicated in you know, five minutes in extra time.
0: I think that overall, eventually, the quality will be too much and they'll show their true colors and they'll come away with three points on the weekend. But with that said, it's going to be hard. This must be so demoralizing of a loss for Manchester City. What is Pep Guardiola thinking? If he doesn't win the title this year the league title and he's got one more year left on his contract to bring a champions league cuz that's that's why he's there they they won the leagues before him they brought him in to win the champions league and he's failed to do that now with massive opportunities in front of him in the last two editions you know that game at the end they blew it in the 90th minute last year they blew it on Probably the decision not to start a uh, defensive midfielder. Um, And now they've got three matches to secure a league title with Liverpool breathing down their necks. And when I say breathing down their necks, I mean literally on top of them breathing down their necks. This is going down to the wire. Everyone knows it. And they've got three games to right the ship with this massive, massive weight on their shoulders from failing in the Champions League. To me, this screams... Like they're going to drop points within these three games. I oh, I, I think they'll be okay because they just have too much quality. But I wouldn't be surprised if Manchester City really, really lose focus on what's important and Liverpool overtakes them.
1: I want to jump in really quick, Nick, just because if we remember when City was playing Atletico in the quarterfinals, Diogo Simeone said something about you know the quality of Pep as a manager. And he was saying... I would have loved to have like Messi in his prime. I would have loved to have that Bayern side because I would have been able to do unbelievable things with them. And even with the city side too, you know, you've got the money to get any player you've ever wanted. We see that with him, you know, introducing guys and he's able to, you know, craft guys to fit really into his squads. You know, if you look at, you know, Phil Foden, if you look at Mahrez, you look at Okay, all these guys kind of have a slow first year because they don't know how to play Pep system, and then the second year they really break out. That being said, if they fail to, you know, they don't win anything this year. They drop points in the Premier League. Liverpool, regardless of what they do in the Champions League, win the Prem, maybe win an FA Cup, get a, a domestic treble, maybe they pick up for the first time in Liverpool club history a quadruple, which would be incredible to see, but if... Pep fails to win anything, do you think there's pushback from the City fans in terms of the mentality of a Pep Guardiola-led side? Just because I think what you can point to, especially in that Madrid loss, and obviously he's had a ton of success with the club, so it's not like you've got brazen examples across the board, but especially with that Real Madrid loss, and you know if they f- stumble at the end here, is there going to be pushback that says, Pep is not a mentality coach. He's a system coach, but he can't get he can't will guys to play better. He has to. His system will let them play better, but he as a person cannot do that.
2: If there's pushback, I think that'd be some of the most spoiled pushback. Oh yeah, ever. Well, they're city fans. They're, they they don't know what. To I, do they're do. literally spoiled with oil money. Yeah. I think just when you look at the world of managers, who's out there, who's making decisions, there aren't maybe Klopp. Above Guardiola, maybe. But, like, there's not, there's nothing out there that's really going to get that much better. And I think about the way City have choked in recent years. And, sure, you have a right to be upset. And, sure, he's made baffling decisions sort of in big games, whether it's bringing off players, not starting Rodri or Fernandinho against Chelsea. But I think his resume speaks for himself. People, people kind of like to rack on him a little bit for... His spending money, and you know, oh, he, he can just buy whatever player he wants. So, can like other managers have had. I think about you, cross-town rival Manchester United, who've had so much money to spend, they've just put it in the wrong places consistently. Sure, Pep has like an unlimited fund, but he knows who he wants and he crafts him the fittest system. I think maybe a little bit of pushback is justified, but I think if you're pushing back against Pep Guardiola, man who's had you top of the Premier League, you know, for so long and. Even when I think about this Real Madrid game, I'm thinking, you know, sure Pep subs off De Bruyne, he subs off Mares, but you know, he's not the one who totally forgot how to defend in those last couple minutes. It's a little bit on the players too, and sure, that's it's a pro, it's a product of him and what he says to them. But I don't think there could be any any real logical pushback. I don't know what you think, James.
0: I I hope it's not real pushback. I I think it's going to happen though. I I think. I think people are going to be dissatisfied with him because his his job was to bring a Champions League and he's not going to do that. Certainly not this year. Next year, we'll see what that looks like and what is supposed to be his final year on his contract with Man City before he said he'd like to go uh, and manage an international side. I believe that was...
1: Was that Pep who said that? I thought he said he wanted to manage Inter-Miami. I thought he was coming to the MLS. Wow,
0: that'd be crazy. Because, honestly, <laughs> Inter-Miami could use him because they were dreadful. But I I, I don't Where's Pep going to go after this? PSG? Like w- w- what club is in the market for I mean every club really would take Pep Guardiola But The landscape of football right now Would suggest that He's not going to leave until he wins a Champions League But I think they're going to run him out by 2023 If he doesn't And that's crazy Considering the influence he's had on this man City He doesn't team. get better but, than him But does it sound wrong if I say like he's gone in a year? Like it makes sense I just don't think it gets better than him anywhere else, anywhere else you look.
2: Right? Like who who else is going to have you getting, you know, close to 100 point seasons consistently in the Prem, you know? There's sure you there's, you know, struggle continentally, but I feel like it's a, a lot of it is if if your framework is as strong as his is in what he's done in the Premier League, I just don't think there's enough reason to get rid of a guy like that at all. But I think at this point, we'll pivot to the more important continent and the more important competition, the CONCACAF Champions League, where, for the first time ever, there is an American champion, the Seattle Sounders defeat Pumas 3-0 in the second leg on Wednesday, 5-2 on aggregate. Seattle, champions of CONCACAF. We've seen so many close calls. I I think to Michael Bradley's penalty for Toronto FC Yikes. for an MLS side. I think of so many chokes over the years but seattle are champions and it really was just an unbelievable performance against pumas at home you know selling out i can't don't know what it's called now it used to be CenturyLink field but the atmosphere in there was crazy seattle sounders played like like a great side and james you're the one who who probably cares the most about this <laughs> i care too i was pumped up but you're the one who's most involved. He's got your, a
1: back tattoo already.
2: Your initial... Re- <laughs> of Seattle Sounders. Your initial reaction to Seattle's thrumping of Pumas in the second leg.
0: Going into the game, I was cautiously optimistic. Uh, for those of you who were following along with my tweets, you will know that I tweeted about that, how this was following the exact same formula of Real Salt Lake in 2011, Montreal impact in... Uh, 2015, now club de foot, Montreal. Horrible name change. And in 2018, Toronto, and then even in 2020 in the pandemic year, LAFC, all teams that had a strong first half or first leg in the Champions League final against a Liga MX team and then blew it in the end. And in the case of Royal Salt Lake in Montreal, they did it at home, which was really demoralizing and really scary. But... I was still optimistic because this Sounders team has more quality than all of those teams combined, probably, except for maybe Toronto, because they had, you know, Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, Sebastian Javinko. But this Seattle Sounders team, it just felt different because you knew they were going home to a crowd that was going to be almost 70,000. Fantastic for American soccer. You knew that they have just it, within their team, Stefan Fryingol, who has been um, the most undervalued keeper in Major League Soccer, I think, with the exception of a guy like Tim Melia or Luis Robles, legend, for the last 10 or so years has been absolutely fantastic for Seattle Sounders. Highlight real save after highlight real save. Um, they've established you know, an international quality center back in Yamar Gomez-Andrade, who plays for the Colombian national team. You've got Nuhutolo, who plays for the Cameroonian national team at left back, and they have such a good club culture as well, and I've not even gone on to name like their five or six best players after that. Like Joao Paulo, Albert Rusnak, Christian Roldan, Nico Ladero, Jordan Morris, Raul Reed Diaz. Like, th- this is a special type of MLS team in history in terms of the quality and passion they have for their club. And that was on full display um, all night long Wednesday night against Pumas. And granted, Pumas is probably the weakest uh, Liga MX team ever to reach a CONCACAF Champions League final, but it doesn't matter because there had been weak teams like. Chivas in 2018 that beat Toronto in the final were in the bottom half of the Liga MX Clausura. Pumas are in like 11th right now. Seattle's in 12th in the West like of the MLS of the MLS Western Conference. Like so I don't like that argument at all. This is still a fantastic achievement, ridiculous accomplishment considering the history of the competition. And we're going to see an MLS team playing in a meaningful game at the Club World Cup. That is going to do wonders for Americans. So- Can you imagine if they scored, like, a legitimate goal against Real Madrid? Can you imagine what that would mean? What about when Jordan Morris nets a hat-trick? When, when Jordan Morris scores a perfect hat-trick of left foot, right foot, and then a header in the 90th minute over Allison Becker, I do not... I don't know what's going to happen to the internet. But it's going to happen. I um, can't wait for it. And I'm the Christian Roldan assist. I, the Christian Roldan assist would be unbelievable... And an Alex Roldan assist. Yeah, that'd be even better. I, I still can't get over, though, and I want to mention this about Seattle specifically. It's something I'm a bit jealous of as a New York Red Bulls fan is the culture that they have developed of winning. Um, it's unlike any other team in MLS history, considering the difficulty of the league now. Since they came into the league in 2009, they've made the playoffs every year. They have they won it in uh, 17, 2017-2019. Lost in the final 2016. Lost in the final 2020. Now they win the CONCACAF Champions League. They won the Open Cup, I believe, in their first year in 09. I could be wrong about that. But I know they have won everything that there is to win for an MLS team. The first team to do that, of course, because no other team has won the Champions League. And Brian Schmetzer, hometown coach from Seattle, played for the club back in its heyday in the NASL, I believe. And the commitment he has shown to his players is unlike any other I have seen in Major League Soccer since the departure of Jesse Marsh. It's just, you get this—you get such a European-type feel from the Seattle Sounders in the sense that they have this fantastic local culture of loving their team, loving their city, and loving the style of play with a bunch of great homegrown talents like Obed Vargas, who came in for probably Seattle's best player, Joao Paulo, and just played pumas off the park at 16 years old 16 years old i'm 18 and my knees don't work anymore like that's crazy it was just a it was so so many spectacular things happened on wednesday night for american soccer that i just i couldn't believe it I, I i was so happy even though i don't like seattle like i don't like the team but i was happy for them they i knew they deserved it if there was ever going to be an mls team to do it first it was bound to be seattle and I am so excited for what this could mean for American soccer. And does it ever feel good to beat Mexico on an international stage? Oh, it does, but it honestly feels a little bit sweeter to do it on the club stage for for once. Man, I love beating Mexico. Uh,
1: How do I even follow that? I mean, that is about as in-depth of MLS analysis you're going to hear not only on this podcast, but realistically on a lot of soccer outlets, like Taylor Twelman. Wherever you are, you phony. Take a listen to that analysis because that will put you to shame, my friend. The only note I'm going to say is uh, two things. The first is you brought up a Jordan Morris hat trick in the Club World Cup. If there's a god. Don't it's let happened. that, don't let that happen because you know Greg Burhalter will be like foaming at the mouth. I think that, that would justify a call up, though. No, I think he's no, no, no. He already no, no. He's in the
2: squad, in my opinion. Like, if we left right now, he's going to Qatar. I think he's right
1: like
0: now. The, yeah, I think he's like the fourth or fifth winger. Like,
1: he and probably if you goes.
2: What? The, how big is the roster, going to be? It's going to be more than twenty three. Twenty three to twenty six. Yeah. I think. So if it's like twenty six, Jordan Morris is on the plane. If he's at, he's Eric- at least hanging on the wing right now. <laughs> he's hanging on the wing. He's on the outside, crawling to get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. but if he
1: if he scores a hat trick in Qatar, you know, as soon as you know. Tim Weas play drops, Brennan Harrison plays drops. The people are going to be like, well, Jordan Morris, he's built for this moment, man. He just scored three against Liverpool in August. He's ready to go. I'm like, this guy stinks. <laughs> and then my then my only second note to follow up James's prophetic praise of these Seattle Sounders was on the note of they're a team that I think can propel MLS feud like, further into the future. You know, James, you touched on all of their great success um, since their induction into the MLS. And I think the biggest thing I've noticed is they've made teams kind of like how the Golden State Warriors have transcended basketball to where teams have to play the Warriors type of basketball to beat them, which is, you know, three and D and a lot of, you know, dribble, kick, extra pass, open, good look three. I think that the Sounders are doing the same thing in terms of every year, no matter who they field or where they shake out, especially in like the past five years, how dominant they've been, they require every MLS team that seriously wants to contend to look at their side and figure out how they're going to defend whoever they have going for us, so whether that be Ladero, Rui Diaz, the ageless wonder Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, whoever they have on their pitch. I think it requires every MLS team to seriously look at themselves and say, "How are we going to beat this team, or how are we going to shake up against Seattle?" Because Seattle is the blueprint, in my opinion, for MLS success. Because not only are they absolutely s- so quality, but you know we saw sixty four thousand at the pitch on Wednesday night. Lumen Field. Lumen Field. <laughs> CenturyLink has CenturyLink gone. CenturyLink
0: is such a better name. I than know. That.
1: <sighs> But you saw sixty-four thousand fans there, and you know that's what every American soccer fan wants. It's probably what every MLS club wants, and so the Seattle Sounders once again setting the precedent in MLS in terms of how to be a quality side. You know, we talked about Lumenfield name change. James, you're hating the Montreal Impact name change. Oh God, that's the worst. I think Sounders are here to stay. I think we can all agree that the Sounders aren't. If they going
2: change in. Seattle Sounders to like Seattle CF or like Seattle FC, I will. But no, th- the, the fans would revolt. Yeah, that's this the is, end of it.
0: See, like at least the Seattle Sounders have something that a lot of MLS teams don't, and that's a history that predates the '90s. Yeah. they go back to the s- '70s in the NASL, and that's why their rivalry with the Portland Timbers, who are going to lose this Saturday, or that's tomorrow now. Wow, tomorrow night against the Red Bulls. Hopefully, at home for the Red Bulls. Finally, they're going to get a win. Anyway, th- this is why th- this th- it's so ingrained in the city's culture uh, in a way that it's not in any other country. But I want to mention real quick. Uh, From the Pumas side of things, Juan Dineno up top, absolute baller. He's struggled in Liga MX because Pumas are not that good. But in CONCACAF Champions League, he was an absolute killer, scored nine goals uh, across the competition that blew everyone away for the golden boot race. And um, he's got one year left on his contract. I think he'd be a perfect replacement for New York City FC and Tati Castellanos. Um, I hate that that's a potential prospect, but he... Has got an MLS move written all over him. Look at the Raúl um, uh pedigree: leading goal scorer in Liga MX for Morelia, avoiding the big clubs in Liga MX, goes to a big club in MLS, and his career has skyrocketed even more. So I think Juan Dineo can follow a similar path, and I think it could even be right here in New York. That was a solid 42 minutes of content, spells. That was that was good. I don't think I, I got to talk enough about Concacaf, though. So if
2: you if you're watching tomorrow's Red Bulls Portland game, don't. Just read my tweets. It's
0: the yeah. same thing.
1: Same with me and NYCFC. I'll be out in uh, Queens. See, why am I always... G- Let's, last go Let's,
0: go <laughs> Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Big win last Oh, night. that was amazing.
1: Last week, I gave my NYCFC assignment to Nick, and he gets them at Yankee Stadium, which is a casual D-train ride. Casual
2: right. D-train ride. Although, it was not running, so I had to do Metro North.
1: I, I took the Metro North. Metro North is honestly better. Yeah. Where do you guys take it to? You, sw- you, used to you switch, switch in, at, in Harlem. switch in Harlem. Oh, gotcha. Well or I mean it's like an eighteen dollar Uber. Let me know why I dropped fifty three dollars on an Uber home from Queens two Saturdays ago and probably I'm gonna do the same because I don't want to take the seven into the city, the seven to the D, and then the D all the way home or the seven to the four and you the four. Just do
2: the seven to Grand Central and Metro North home.
1: Why would I if if I'm already taking the seven into the city, it's just more logical for me to stay on the subway.
2: That's not true at all. It take is. the seven to Grand Central, get off of Grand Central, walk up, go to the Metro North and hop on a... D-
1: you see, that's where you're wrong, because... Does Metro North
2: go to to, Gr- to Grand Central, and the 7 goes from Grand Central? Oh, okay. Yeah, but
1: you don't understand. As soon uh, as, seven, as, soon as I, I'm on the subway, I'm not spending money on the Metro North. Okay, I, I do get that. I will I will I, ride I it... I was thinking... I will ride it to as far as it will take
0: me, and then I'll hitchhike. Is there some way Long Island Railroad to Metz Willets Point comes into play yeah, here? Yeah, it
1: does. Yeah, because I was thinking that's an alternative route. I don't know. The, you know what? The city of New York, to end this episode... Why don't we get a damn subway from Queens to the Bronx? Hey, everything. everything goes through Manhattan. Or,
0: or you could just put your stadium in Harrison, New Jersey. So that way, <laughs> we have to, so that way we have to go. To I, Grand think Central, then walk I think that's. To
1: the, Penn I think that's. I think that's the NJ Transit
2: to Newark, and they get on the PATH train from Newark to Harrison, and they do it all again. It's a lot, but a-
1: Alex Wills buy us a car. Damn it!
2: We should have FUV car. FUVFC. It doesn't have
0: to be nice. Doesn't have to be nice. Just has to have four wheels.
1: It's like the old. Uh, I
0: could go on a motorcycle. It could have two wheels. I don't care.
1: It could be like those old cars that they used to like. You know, at like in like FIFA, they'd have them on the side, and like if you played like at for Boca Juniors or River Plate, there'd be cars on the sideline with giant soccer balls on the top of them. You guys ever see those in like FIFA fifteen? Yeah. No. Or like
2: what? or like Copa ninety or like Kick TV something like that. Yeah. We, yeah. De- we decorate the car. Yeah. Oh oh
0: my oh like. Do you guys remember? Oh, what was it? this the, 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 the Sanchez boys who went around to like four random footballers and did like who can who is the greatest finisher ever in terms of just pure power and they they, they had like they did the decorated car thing and they went to Rooney's house. And they went to Gennaro Gattuso's house. I, they I, went to, I've got the Gennaro Gattuso. Yeah, they went to Maluda's house. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, that, oh my, what a blast need, from the past. We need more money. We should raise the budget. Buy a t shirt. Yeah, let's buy an FUV t shirt. <laughs> we're going to start an FUVFC GoFundMe van, I guess. Think I about all the fun we could have on the road. <laughs> oh, we should totally do like a uh, visit every stadium type thing
1: this summer cross who says country no? summer
2: i'm i'm all about we it We say who needs to work we go we go, we go from
1: <laughs> boston we go from new york hit both new york stadiums go up to boston boston to montreal montreal to toronto toronto we're gonna have to go we're gonna have to cut double back on ourselves to get to
0: get f- back to time. chicago
1: maybe yeah drive down to chicago good call james then go up to minnesota minnesota we're just gonna book it straight out <laughs> west hit seattle vancouver Se- Portland. light
2: trip there minnesota to seattle <laughs> Hey that's man. the big one that's the big one hey man
1: that van doesn't run on gas it runs on love, it runs, on <laughs> it love. runs on love
2: <laughs> the love for the game
1: <laughs> that will do it for this <laughs> week's
2: installment of FUVFC this is a great episode guys I'm a big fan of working with you two this is this is the dream trio
0: it is, it is always a great time
2: for Nick Guzman for Keenan Troy for James Burley Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I believe this was three weeks in a row. We're a good podcast. We're professional. We do it every week. See you guys next time.